Welcome to this podcast from Mess to Miracle. Christianity plays a huge role in the fabric of our lives. To be honest, life is messy. Yet in the midst of the mess, God still uses us. The fact that God does is a miracle. This podcast is designed to inspire you in your walk with God and connect you with people and ministries that could be a blessing in your life. You will hear inspiring stories of believers exercising their faith to create miracles in their community. Welcome to From Mess to Miracle. Today we're going to talk about um, discipleship in a post-COVID world. I'm excited to have on my show today my guest and best friend, Tim Beyer, as we talk about kind of where is the church now, where's the church going, and some of the challenges we have in this, post- this post-COVID era. I think you'll enjoy this. COVID has changed the landscape of our nation and our culture. In the same way that the pandemic revealed the physical frailties of those who contracted the virus, This pandemic has exposed, even accelerated the weaknesses in our congregational models in this post-Christian era. We are challenged now with our understanding of gathering for worship in person versus virtual. The church is being pushed to rethink online giving as well as our understanding of Christian leadership. So many of us have found this time to be one of frailty and frustration rather than growth and fruitfulness. I believe God is going to use this time to refine the church, not weaken it. He wants to raise up for himself leaders who can thrive during these kinds of challenges and a church that can flourish even in the face of such difficulty. Because you see, the people of God, the road looks, may look a little rocky ahead, but I believe the Lord has all kinds of visions and, God, and grace for us as we face the next stage in our ministry journey. So I welcome Tim with us today. As I said, Tim and I have been friends for a while. We met back in St. Louis working with some church potential church planners. And we kind of have this unofficial group we call the collective that we get together and we just really think about where is God leading the church in the future and trying to figure out how can we come alongside and be on the front end of that and critically think about some of those things. So welcome, Tim. This is, this is my first interview with somebody from the collective on our podcast. Actually. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me here. And it's just really fun just to just to say about the collective we have all the crazy ideas but we have no idea how to how to implement them <laughs> that's that's why we're think tank yes we we have no yeah, solution right. just crazy ideas <laughs> so today we're going to probably talk about some of those crazy ideas uh as we kind of just dig a little bit about where the church is at this point so but to kind of warm you up so what's some of the best advice you've learned maybe during this whole covid thing Oh, goodness. Um, you know, we, we, we said here when on March 11th, the state of Washington went into quarantine and uh, large gatherings could not meet and really nobody could gather at that time. Um, we asked ourselves that morning before Governor Inslee came on um, to make the announcement, you know, what if there was one thing that we could imagine at the end of quarantine or whatever we this is going to be. And at that time, we were thinking Easter, like just very myopic. Um, what would it be? You know, what what's what would be the win? And we looked around the room, uh, our 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 uh, minister director team, and we said relationships. It's going to be relationships. 
a little history and context with that. We, we've been moving in that direction over really the last decade. Uh, my predecessor, uh, Brian Banky, really instilled that foundation. Uh, but we were so busy, like we, like we were a busy church and um, a lot of our systems and, and our ministry model was based around Sunday morning gathering and then smaller life groups that meet during the week and then serving um, really events uh, where we gather on site and be dispersed. And it was really good. Uh, only when you can gather in small and large groups. Um, and so we said relationships, that, that, that's what we can measure afterwards. Um, not in terms of how many relationships, but how have how has our relationships changed and specifically how they changed to be more like Jesus, uh, more graceful, more joyful, more peaceful. And uh, of course, we didn't know what would, would happen, you know, middle of last year with the events of George Floyd on top of the pandemic and, and all the political nuances of that. Um, and I think that's been more of our challenge, more so even than the pandemic, has been the socio-political confusion and parsing and navigating that as Christians, um, which really coincided with that priority or that target of relationships, uh, which drove everything we chose to do during these last 11 and a half months. So you, you and I have talked about the the key part of, for you, being a big piece of the church is relationships. And we talked about the sense of belonging. I love that yeah. word belonging. How do you do belonging when you can't meet physically in person? Yeah. Um, you know, belonging is such an elusive experience because uh, primarily we experience belonging through our emotions. So a lot of research has gone into attachment theory and understanding uh, from the world of psychology and sociology, just how communities are built. Uh, we chose to go online right away. Uh, we were experimenting with online worship and what it looked like to have online groups and, and information transfer online. Uh, but we never really immersed ourselves and, and we didn't have a choice. We, we had to immerse ourselves because that was really the only option unless we wanted to do the house church thing. And that just sounded exhausting. <laughs> So um, we, we said, what if online digital community was actually a valid expression of community? And um, just doing a little cursory research, there, there's been some research in the sociology world um, that really wrestled with that same question. Is online digital community real community or authentic community? Or is it a facade or a, a mask for a different type of community? And that, that's that's a whole nother podcast, I'm sure. Um, but we made the assumption, the working assumption that if we could build online digital community, what would it take? And we said, it takes the same building blocks as face-to-face -face community, time, proximity, and conversation. And so how do those three come together? Um, we chose Zoom as our platform, as our primary platform. So time, um, we, we said, we're, we're going to carve out some pillars of time. So daily devotions online, that's, that's a time, 15 minutes every day. Um, certainly the weekend worship service, but now that's not just restricted to a physical uh, time that people can gather. Now it is a virtual on-demand time where people can access that experience at any time. And then we said, what would it look like for people to interact on their own time in their own way? 
Um, we dabbled in some forums, some discussion boards, didn't really take off. But what did take off was how people moved into um, online community groups or, or life groups, uh, where they processed what they were learning, processed what they were feeling. Um, and then all the information content that we would typically place in like Bible studies or classes, we just moved to on-demand content and said, you know, that everything from Wikipedia to Netflix is kind of the binge worthy content and information. So we can just produce content and resources and let people self consume. But, um, you know, going back to advice, uh, Jim Miller, uh, who worked at Concordia University of Chicago before that, he was in the outdoor ministry world. Uh, he uses the phrase, use your calories wisely. I'm sure he picked that up somewhere else along the way. And uh, we said, if we could use our calories wisely here, and if relationships the target, then let's not put all of our calories into resource and information transfer. Let's put it into that time and put ourselves in proximity to people with that time, just in a digital space. Um, and for about nine and a half, almost 10 months, that worked really, really well uh, across generations. Um, we had young people teaching old people how to use Zoom, which was awesome. We had older <laughs> folks uh, sitting with younger folks, trying to help them understand the value of face-to-face -face and how they just were grieving and mourning and, and really um, helping young people express their own grief and loss. Because uh, what, what I believe our younger generation in many ways experienced is uh, they didn't know how much they valued face-to-face -face until they didn't have it. Um, certainly older generation, um, older generation folks uh, have some life experience and have had time to systemize and process that. But uh, it, it's been kind of this beautiful mosaic um, where folks could interact in a digital space over time in that digital proximity. Um, and we've said, wow, um, it's not an outcome where people are getting more necessary Bible knowledge right now. But it's a different type of uh, spiritual experience where the body of Christ can actually grow deeper with each other. And uh, we have the assurance that Jesus is there in the midst of them, right? Uh, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, uh, God's there. Jesus is there. And we trust the Holy Spirit's working in those moments. And uh, it's been really fun, certainly not without hiccups. But, oh, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> but I think I, I do think that it has transformed um, our understanding of community radically, um, not just as a church, but but in our world. Um, we joke. Uh, we said we're never going back to in-person meetings just because uh, we, we, we found out that we were having a lot of meetings and in a sense, wasting a lot of time on things that we didn't need to waste time on. Um, which was taken away from those that time and proximity with other people um, for those deeper relationships, for those deeper friendships, to be walking alongside each other in, in life as life is happening, uh, especially during a time like the pandemic, right? Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now a word from one of our sponsors, For Freedom Mobile. If you're using AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, then you're being tracked. Mobile providers collect your location, communications, internet activity, even your financial transaction. They sell that data to anyone willing to pay for it and provide it to the government without a warrant. 
Switch to For Freedom Mobile, and you won't ever have to worry about big tech or big brother tracking you through your mobile phone again. For Freedom Mobile provides secure, unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data for just $29.99 a month, and it includes free internet roaming in over 200 countries. Sign up for the service by visiting forfreedommobile.com and using the promo code BRIDGEBUILDERS to get your first month for only $9.99. See forfreedommobile.com for details, just like the number four, freedommobile.com. So if you replace those meetings, how do you still connect with each other as a staff if you're not meeting in person? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, we, we, we have, I, I'm blessed to have a teammate here, a colleague, um, who, who's really our systems guy. He, he, he's the guy who makes all the wild ideas happen. And he, he really helped us roll out um, using the, the tool Slack online. It's a digital communication team collaboration platform. I've never heard of that. Yeah. And so uh, we have Slack channels with different conversation streams. You can direct message folks, which we said only about 20% of your time should be direct messaging. 80% of your time should be group collaboration. Um, that's that's one way. It's just even like a large group text message that you can eventually just shut off at the end of the day. Um, but if you think about it, that's how, um, I don't know about you, but, but in my life, a lot of my communication does happen through text messaging. And so in that sense, it's really nothing different than what I experience day to day. And if I need a phone call, if I need to talk to someone, I can still pick up the phone. Um, now here in Washington, we're just now opening up a little bit more, loosening the restrictions. We can have two households gather together. We want to respect those guidelines, not out of fear, but um, out of Christian witness. Uh, that's been our position since day one. Uh, we witness out of love and respect and honor. Um, and, and so we haven't used the sacrifice language, like we're laying out our lives and sacrificing our rights. Uh, we, we just didn't find that super helpful. Probably not. Uh, but the honor, the honor and respect narrative, um, because we have so many relationships with, with people far from God and, and you know, not Christian commuted communities um, that we, we believe that that the way we led and live through this pandemic will be a louder sermon than anything we could ever preach. Um, so so Slack, that digital big, huge group texting platform, uh, which is free, by the way, uh, you oh. can pay for a premium version, but it's free. Um, but then that intentional one on one, whether it's a phone call, or, um, you know, what I've done, I've, <laughs> I've called folks up, hey, you know, um, this is just a better conversation to have face to face. Um, you know, what's, what's your comfort level of meeting in your driveway? And uh, happy just to, you know, I have, I have a camping chair in the back of my car, where I can drop and go and just sit in somebody's driveway or outside in their lawn or front porch at any time. Um, and, you know, we have regulations or um, procedures with masks and distancing and all that that, that we honor as well. Um, but we've said, you know, we may need to sacrifice the large group gathering for a while, but that does not give us permission or detract from the actual face-to-face -face dynamic that we are able to have. So looking for the opportunities to redeem that time in a different way. And if you think about discipling, disciple making, 
Um, I, I'm a firm believer that it is really difficult, if not impossible, to disciple a crowd of people. Uh, you can teach a lot of people. You can inspire a lot of people. Uh, you can even, uh, you know, commission and encourage a lot of people. <laughs> but you, you can only really disciple one-on-one, maybe two-on-one. Jesus did three-on-one, and then he had the 12, right? And, right. and that was about his max. So... I, I'll let Jesus be the max, the the threshold bar. And, you know, if I could do one or two, maybe three, um, you know, that's just a conviction I have that discipling is a whole lot smaller than what we oftentimes think. But think about this, uh, in our in our context, we have about 1500 people who cycle in and out every, every week on a pre-COVID weekend. How many relationships if each and every one of those 1500 people are discipling one other person. Holy cow. Right. Um, That's amazing. Talk about a movement that could change the world. Yeah, it would That's be. That's incredible to think about. Yeah. I love how you talk about how your staff connects with uh, the app you use. We did that with our techs at our district uh, staff in, in a, NID. We we have even had what we call a silly Friday. So the, the rule was if you texted on a Friday something that was important, it's probably not going to be really received well because it's going to turn to some silly conversation that lasted all day long. But Mm -hmm. looking back, people miss that opportunity just to be themselves, to Mm -hmm. to let their hair down, like you said, to to connect. Mm -hmm. And we had those one-on-one messages going back and forth. It it worked out really well to keep Mm -hmm. the, the cohesion, the the camaraderie of the group. So yeah, that's that's a wonderful Mm -hmm. thing to talk about. The, the water cooler conversation do not discount the water cooler conversations. Um, uh, Dr. Hollowell out at Harvard, he, he wrote a book called Shine. And um, it, it, is, it is fascinating when you actually dig into the academia of the water cooler conversation, how much that not just improves productivity in work um, on a professional level and organizational level, it actually deepens the relationship when you just share a picture of your kids being goofy or, uh, you know, uh, you know, for us in, in our context, you know, you know, what does worship at home look like for a pastor's family? And, you know, you giggle because the kids are like, they aren't paying attention and they're building blocks or they're crying, they're in PJs and, you know, and, you know, it, it makes it relatable. Um, and, and I think so often we think discipleship uh, or mission, you know, because our mission is to make disciples who make disciples, um, is this clean cut, pretty picture that's linear A plus B equals C. Uh, and, and I know we've talked about this. I know that there's books written about it, that it, it's it's messy, you know, messy discipleship, or um, it, it's a process, it takes time. Yes, yes, and yes. But I think what the pandemic has done for us, um, it's broken down the wall or any sort of facade that that it has to be a certain way. And it's given us incredible freedom just to say, you know what, you're doing the best you can with what you got. How can we continue coming alongside and being helpful, supportive, encouraging, because we want the best for you because, because God, God truly wants the best for you and your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors. Um, in fact, we're in the series now, um, right now called God, How Do You Care? And, and it's kind of translating everything we've learned um, that we love and care not by showing up to church 
or by participating in a, a serving event. Those are really good things and marks of a disciple for sure. But the world will know that God loves and cares for them by the love and care that you offer to the world. Right. And that's uniquely Christian. I, I know we've talked about this. Um, you know, all of the, the social upheaval we've experienced over the last nine months since May, um, you know, what's the answer? What's the answer? Well, some say more programs, some say more conversations, some say, um, well, you know, we, we, we just need to come to a reconciliation. Well, well, where does reconciliation come from? Because the, the world's understanding of, of reconciliation uh, and culture's understanding of reconciliation is a power play. It's always going to be a power play because somebody always has to win and somebody always has to lose. Uh, unless you're Little League, which, in my opinion, that's kind of a farce. Like, you know, <laughs> No one really I mean, wins or loses, right? Well, uh, I mean, that, that's just life. I mean, that, that, that's the human experience. Not everybody gets a trophy. And, and that's okay. That's okay. That doesn't degrade anybody's value. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, destroy one's worth. It just means that there, there's a disparity of power. Um, but you look at actual reconciliation. Uh, you look at South Africa and, and the reconciliation processes uh, after the apartheid and Desmond Tutu, uh, and it's fascinating. It's the Christians that lead the conversation because they understand what equality really looks like. Equality is not, okay, you stay in your box and I stay in my box. And as long as our boxes are equal size, we're good. No, equality is something that comes from outside of ourselves. Equality is, is uh, there, there's a part of self-sacrifice, but there's also a mutuality to reconciliation, understanding that you're part of me and I'm part of you, but it's not a human uh, mutuality. It's a, uh, I don't want to use the word spiritual. Uh, it's sort of an ethereal, uh, existential um, mutuality where we share something greater together as opposed to any sum of parts that we can dream up on our own. Sure. Yeah. That's pretty good. You and I have talked a lot about where the church is mm-hmm. pre pandemic. And I think yeah. we, I think we've talked about that the pandemic has accelerated some of the trends, alarming trends we saw in the church. Mm. As you look at the church, today and post-pandemic, what do, you, what do you see on the horizon for the church? That, that's a tricky question. Um, when we talk about the institutional church, I think what we're going to see is that the larger churches are going to become larger and the smaller churches will increasingly become smaller and institutionally really be challenged. Um, because institutions are fundamentally built on systems of finance and attendance, the program model which works really well when you can gather pre-pandemic, which works really well when you have just an abundance of resources, right? Uh, Sociologically, I think we're gonna gonna be challenged in this next season, just uh, economically, I think there's a lot of uncertainty and I'm I'm still not sure what to do with that, but you know, I, I think it'd be naive to say that our economy is not going to impact the the reality of finances for especially smaller churches, but even larger churches. Um, I think another thing on the horizon and, and larger churches, I think, are wrestling with this. I know we are, is 
to what extent are our facilities part of supporting our strategy instead of being our strategy? Um, I know back in the mid 2000s here, um, I, I've only been here 18 months, by the way, just context. I've been an online pastor, a scattered church pastor more than a gathered church pastor, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but we had a strategic plan that would build, you know, a 40,000 square foot worship facility, a coffee shop, uh, duplexes for senior housing. Like, like it was an incredible plan. If you remember back in the 90s and 2000s, that was, I, I mean, in many ways, God was moving through those type of strategies, you know, create the facility, create the spaces. And, and if you have programs to fill those spaces. And people will come. Um, People will, will not just come, they'll bring their friends and it will be exciting. And, and many lives were changed. Many people came to know Jesus in a greater and deeper way in that way. Um, I think what COVID is, is, has accelerated, and, and we've seen this over the last decade, um, engagement, which is a, a large umbrella, just people being able to connect in a church program, um, and then more specifically, worship attendance, which is a pretty typical metric for most churches, has been on the decline. And so we've we've come up with different strategies, whether it's missional communities or life groups, small group movement, and and we've we've kind of repackaged the same program in a different skin, uh, which isn't bad. Um, but I think what COVID has done is accelerated the decline of engagement because there's so many different ways now you can engage that why, I mean, I hear this from, from our own people sometimes. Why would I choose to wake up at eight o'clock and get my booty to church when I can sleep and sit in my PJs, eat bacon and, and pancakes with my kids and have the same exact experience at home? But more comfortable. Family. Yeah, but more comfortable. But more comfortable. Right. And arguably, you know, there's the dynamic of the body of Christ, there's the fellowship, but, you know, they have a point if you think about it. Um, if church, if the Sunday morning experience was just an event and that's the way it was marketed, that was the way we played it out, then, yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can sing and listen to really good music online. I can get a really good teaching online, uh, arguably a lot better teaching than what I could give. I mean, there's a lot more talented communicators out there in the Christian world than me. Um, oh, I haven't met, I haven't met those people yet though. Yeah, it'd be you. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I have my own friends that I can connect with. Like, like why would I need to show up? And, and I think that's the tension that we're going to need to live in on this next horizon is what does it look like to live in both worlds both the, the world where there is intense value in a physical gathering, but that physical gathering will become less and less, um, dare I say, attractive. One, because of time, but two, um, how are we framing out that gathering as part of our overall ministry strategy or our ministry plan? Um, is it a standalone event that is the pinnacle of the week, or is it integrated into the life of who we are as individuals, but also as a life of a community where we don't say, I go to church because they have a great band and a great preacher and a great kids program. All those things may be true, but I go to church because it's part of not just who I am, 
but I can't imagine my life without gathering together with that type of community of people. And while that sounds super unbiblical in terms of a religious obligation, which I think um, Constantinian, Constantinian thinking um, that comes through the, the history of the church through Roman Catholicism into Protestantism, where you know church is more or less maybe a, a subconscious obligation, like it's a good moral thing to do. Um, it's not a lack of morality that's shifting in that sense. It's the fact that we have we have not communicated and instilled the value of that Sunday gathering and integrated into the life of a community. And, and in a way, that, that is a really difficult thing. Um, Will Mancini talks about this in Future Church. Um, we oftentimes think of worship in the lower room, uh, if you think of a house. Uh, you come in, like if you're going to a friend's house, like come in, sit in the comfy chair and can I get you any coffee? And it's really fun. It's really good. Uh, but Will challenges folks uh, in his book and his talks <clears throat> um, how to move people from the lower room to the upper room. And the upper room is, I mean, if you think about it in your house, gosh, that's where the real life change happens, right? Uh, you might have a lot of fun in the lower, lower part of your house on the first floor entertain a lot of guests, um, invite people you might not ordinarily hang out with. That's awesome. But the goal has always been to, to invite people into a deeper relationship and into a deeper connection, uh, into part of your family. Right. And um, I, I think churches have struggled with that. Um, one, because uh, maybe this is just my opinion now. I think one of the reasons uh, churches have struggled pre-COVID, and I think COVID has ex accelerated it, is we have this American individuality where, where there's a sense of pride in our Christian faith. Um, and I can't necessarily expose any cracks or crevices in my trust relationship with Jesus. Um, because how dare a Christian say, you know, I have serious doubts about whatever tenet of the faith. I have serious doubts about uh, homosexuality and the church's stance on, you know, um, civil unions and um, LGBTQ conversations. You know, how dare I say, you know, I'm really wrestling with, with divorce and what that means. Uh, how, how dare we say that, you know, maybe there are tenets of evolution to me as a scientist might make sense, but I don't know what to do with that. And I think before COVID, we've, we've had the luxury of pushing it aside and, and just saying, well, as long as we can come together for worship, sing the songs, and listen to a sermon and go home, we're good. Um, but moving to that upper room allows us to really wrestle with those real-life questions and doubts and drop the hair and, and say, you know, it is about grace. Like, it's not about how much knowledge you know. It's about your walk with Jesus and I mean, I, I trust the Holy Spirit's going to work it out. I've used that phrase a lot. Uh, you know, I, I don't have the answer, but, you know, I'm trusting that, that the Holy Spirit's working. And um, as you seek the Lord in his word in Christian community, um, as you grow to know him more, the Holy Spirit will, will show you. Um, and it's okay. It's God's time, not mine. That's true. Something you said there I think was pretty deep, and I want to kind of touch on that for the listeners and maybe something That's for them. Scary. Deep, deep thought, deep thought for you. I know, but 
that lower room versus the upper room experience, I do wonder, as the church wrestles with, mm-hmm. is Sunday morning the only place or the best place mm-hmm. for people to get that deeper upper room experience? I think that's the struggle that the church today has. Yeah. I think believing, and, and there, let's be honest, there, there, are the, there are elements in that lower room of God's word and the sacraments, which we know do take us deeper. But is that, does that take us to that deeper connection with God or does it just kind of, is the entry point for that deeper connection with God? So I think as the church moves forward, even um, in this pandemic time is to really go and dig into that question. Is this the best place to go deeper, to connect with God in that intimate way. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question to reflect on and, and wrestle with, especially if there's church leaders, leaders of Christian communities, even nonprofits, or even in your own home. Like, what does that look like? How does that large group gathering integrate into your life throughout the week? Um, but your question makes me think of two things. Um, one, um, I think we've tried to flip the rooms and put the bedrooms or the upper room on the lower room. Um, And while that's good, and we see this like in the Mitchell community movement, now we have the micro church movement. Um, You know, we have Soma communities right here in Tacoma, Washington, where I'm at. And um, I've always respected um, what what those communities do and, and you know, you know this, and just so folks listening in know this, you know, I, I, I'm a huge believer that that those type of experiences are really meaningful. Uh, the challenge is how do you multiply and sustain that to any type of scale um, without a rapid multiplication strategy or a way to release more and more leaders? I think Tampa Underground does a really good job at that. KC Underground uh, does a really good job at systemizing that multiplication. Uh, the challenge with mainline denominations like ours, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, um, and this isn't a critical statement, it's just kind of something I've experienced as a pastor within that tribe. And as I reflect on the last 15 years of ministry, what, I, what I've also seen, um, I think we struggle with the, with the multiplicity of smaller communities because we are so reliant on a word and sacrament ministry point leader for every single community. So for example, in my context, if if I would say every life group leader who is responsible in a sense for shepherding or pastoring, if you wanna use that word, uh, a group of 15 to 30 people needs to be ordained and seminary trained Gosh, not only is that a huge expense, that's just not scalable and practical. Or replicable. Um, you can't, yeah, you can't replicate yeah, that. You yeah. can't replicate it at the scale of actually, like, and, and, and I mean, you know, it, we, we had um, my, my, my colleague, he just finished the SP specific ministry program at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. And that was a four year process. And, uh, and, you know, we joke, we're like, hey, now you're certified to do what you are already doing. But, you know, in many ways, it's like, okay, how do we, how do we create a system where there's integrity and the theological oversight within our large church systems, um, organizationally, and yet continually release the the joy of leading and pastoring 
and multiplying disciples um, with integrity, but there, there's, there's oversight with that. And I think, think sometimes we, we get challenged when it comes to sacraments, uh, maybe not so much baptism, but especially communion in our tribe and other um, probably mainline tribes, I would imagine, uh, certainly within the Roman Catholic tribe uh, as well, uh, where, where there is an importance of connecting that to the office of, of the pastor on the public behalf. Um, and while that might be an experience with God, which it is, I'm not sure if that is the pinnacle experience. And I know, ooh, don't, don't, don't evaluate my theology on this one. Um, but I wonder if we overemphasize communion as the end-all be-all without integrating that into the rest of our life with Jesus. Um, I had a conversation, I'm not going to share the pastor's name, a couple years ago. And, and I'm like, you know, what would it look like for communion to be integrated, not in the sense of word and sacrament experience that we have in a divine service, but a sacramental communion um, ripple effect throughout the week. Like, we don't think about that. We think of communion as an event, not an experience that that leads us. And, and yet we have the theology for this. Um, I just think that we, we get challenged, like, how do we talk about the sacraments that we experience on that lower level? How does it translate to an upper level day-to-day uh, -day experience? So I'll give you a practical example. Um, during the time of quarantine, um, if the ultimate expression for us was the divine service with, with a communion um, element, then yeah, I can see the frustration and I understand the, the anger even. No, we can't meet. We can't experience that. But if my ultimate expression of the sacrament is at its core, not the event of, of sharing the body and blood of Jesus, which is really powerful and experiential, but it's actually what we say it is, it's the word of God that is enacted in the life of people in a physical, tangible way, then where else am I experiencing the power and presence of God in a sacramental-like way, not making it a sacrament, <laughs> we don't want to create our own theology, but in sure. a sacramental-like way that, one, makes us long for it when we do get together, but it's not going to, it's not going to paralyze me from actually living out my calling as a disciple of Jesus. Um, and I think that that's something like as pastors, as leaders, that we really need to wrestle with because I, I think what's on the horizon for the church is um, for those who don't have a strong sacramental theology or framework of worship, no problem. Um, you know, four songs, a, a teaching, and, 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 and that's your worship service. It's great. Um, but for those of us who have a theology of worship, how is that theology applied in a space that is both gathered and scattered, as Matt Smay and Hugh Halter would say, uh, where the sacraments are celebrated when we are gathered? And that's a good thing. 
but we're living sacramentally when we're scattered. And we dare not divorce the two because if we do believe that Jesus's body and blood is the lifeblood that runs through our veins, it's not like communion that lifeblood runs out after seven days and I have to get refilled, right? Right. No, it, it sustains you until life everlasting. That, that That's the classic blessing, right? May the body and blood of Jesus sustain you now until life everlasting, right? Um, and I think if we put that theology into practice, then how is the body and blood sustaining you, the body and blood of Jesus sustaining you from the gathered expression on the lower level into wherever you are, where you live, work, and play uh, throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout a pandemic, um, however that looks like. And, and there's a difference between despising the gathering, which is sometimes easy to do if if you're just like sold out 100% on smaller, like I just wanna have me and Jesus time. Um, you know, we dare not despise the large gathering, but we dare not idolize it either. Right, so that's the balance. Yeah, well, it's not so much balance. I, I think it's, it's what Reed Lessing taught taught me in uh, his Proverbs and Psalms and writing wisdom class. And I think he got this from Oris Humboldt. Don't quote me on this. Uh, but it's more about your Sitzenleben, uh, which is a German phrase, uh, uh, the place in life, the right place. And, and if you think of Proverbs, you know, it's, it's everything in its right place the way God intended it to be. And the question is, what what is the right place for, for large group gatherings and word and sacrament celebration? And what's the right place for ongoing discipleship? And not trying to force something that was never meant to be into a space that it wasn't created for. I mean, think about the Old Testament. Um, discipleship never happened really in the large temple gathering, right? You go to the temple, you walk up the stairs, um, They'd open the book, they'd read the book, they'd offer sacrifices, they'd pray, but discipleship happened in the home. And so, you know, you have to stop and think, okay, so you have this rhythm, you have this pattern, and then you fast forward to the New Testament church, and, and there were different spaces, right? Um, they gathered in the temple courts and in their homes and in the public courts. And the Lord added to their number daily. What what are we talking about there in Acts two? I I I I'm kind of inclined to understand that as there are different spaces that God intends for different purposes, and it's okay. It's okay to say my worship service. The goal of that is celebration, word and sacrament, and proclamation. It's the goal is not to necessarily disciple people in a life on life individual relationship. It's right. okay. It's okay. And if you say it is, then then make it the best discipling experience, equipping experience you can. And it may take um, longer than an hour. Yeah, it might take longer than an hour. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you might not have a kids program. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I think where we run into trouble is we try to be all things to all people in 60 minutes. Right. And and what I'm uh, what I'm hearing more and more from folks is... All right, with the with the waning of the desire for people to gather in an attractional setting, um, I mean, I, I think of 
Man, I get I get anxious walking into a mall right now, Keith. Like <laughs> if there's a lot of people at the mall, my hands get my palms get sweaty. I start looking around. I you know I have my mask and I'm like, wow, if this is an experience for somebody coming to church, right? I get it. Like. I don't know what, what may happen. I don't know if this is a hot spot outbreak. And and I know some of my friends, they've said, you know, faith over fear. You know, God has, okay, yeah. It, this isn't a matter of me not having faith, I don't believe. Um, I think it's a human experience um, knowing that, that we do have responsibilities to our family. That's vocation. We have responsibilities to our workplaces. That's also vocation. Um, but when we think about vocation, that's inherently discipleship oriented uh, where God has placed me to use my gifts as I follow him every day and uh, just because I get anxious about gathering in large group worship isn't necessarily uh, at least for me a, a reflection of a lack of faith um, it's actually an expression of faith knowing that God is working beyond that 60 minute experience and whether I show up or not, which as a pastor, I, I'm kind of obligated to. That's my vocation. That's right. Um, I, I also understand the opposite side, walking into a mall or a large event uh, where, where it's like, oh, my goodness, um, is it safe? Uh, is this the smartest thing to do? Uh, I remember this fall, we, we were wanting to take our kids to an apple orchard. And uh, we drove by and. Yeah, I was outside and, you know, looking back, I'm sure it might have been safe. I don't know. Um, I'm not a scientist, but we drove by and, and my wife and I looked at each other we're like, you going? No. Are you? No. We drove right by and, and orchard after orchard after orchard. We're like, I don't know if that's safe. And translate that into our large gatherings. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I can understand why people are wrestling with, do we come back? Do we not? When do we come back? Should we come back? If we do come back, can we sing? Should we wear masks? Um, all that. Um, and it's not, again, it's not a lack of faith. I think what it's exposing is um, the dynamic that our faith life goes far beyond a 60 minute gathering. And how is that all integrated? Um, and I think we have to wrestle with that and figure that out. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. I really appreciate this. This is this is kind of what the collective is like when we get together and, and just talk about deep things. So, Tim, no, how can no, people how can no people answers, just more questions. just more questions? So how can people find you on Facebook and social media? Yeah, um, you, you can find me on, on social media, Facebook, Facebook dot com slash Tim dot buyer, B-A-Y-E-R and the number two. Um, Instagram Graham is just Tim Buyer, all one word, T-I-M-B-A-Y-E-R. Um, you can check out, out, um, our savior and, uh, the church that I have the honor and privilege to, to help walk alongside and, and love and lead, uh, OSLC.com. Um, you know, we don't have it figured out. We're just hacking away at it. And, uh, we have a talented team. Let me tell you, we have a talented team and, and that's, that's probably one of the biggest joys that I've had during this pandemic is walking alongside of our team of 20 some folks um in a way we've become our own little extended family during this time where uh we're just committed to we're committed to the call of jesus to following him every day uh to praying for each other modeling what that looks like and then leading out and uh, inviting other folks to come along and you know if if there is one thing that 
that we're walking away from this pandemic from as we begin to re-enter our weekend services. This last weekend was our first on-site physical gathering in 11 months, believe it or not. Um, if there's one thing that we learned, um, every chance we have to have a face-to-face -face conversation or a phone call conversation, even in a large group, it is about the one person. It is about the one person. And uh, there's a cheesy hymn out there. I, I think it's kind of cheesy. You know, each one reach one. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good alliteration. Um, but I think that there's, there's power in that principle um, that, you know, sometimes it's just one person. And that's okay. That's yeah. okay. And giving ourselves the permission not to think mega. Um, but discipling at its core is about the one that you're walking alongside. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is about, right? He's about the one that you're walking alongside. Because right. he chooses each and every one of us individually. And yet collectively, he gathers us together as his family. Thank you for joining us this week on From Mess to Miracle. Make sure you visit our website at https from mess to miracle.buzzsprout.com. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts so you never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I would appreciate a rating on iTunes. If you simply like to tell a friend about the show, you will help us get the message out to bless more people. If you like this show, you might want similar content. You can follow my blog at www.alightbreakthrough.org. Be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next episode. Just remember, out of our messiness, God makes miracles.